Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. Welcome to the Elite Advisor Blueprint, the podcast for world-class financial advisors. I'm Brad Johnson, VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, and it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top thought leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. Today's episode is another one in our virtual advisor series, focusing on how to navigate the leap from brick and mortar to the new virtual environment we all find ourselves in today. Also, if you aren't already a member of our private virtual advisor Facebook community, this episode has been live for almost a week inside the group as I've been live streaming each and every episode as they happen there. If you decide to join the group, you'll also have the added benefit of live Q&A sessions during the actual recording, instant access to all tools and downloads shared by guests, and joining a community of 350 plus financial advisors and growing from all around the world, trying to make the leap to a virtual practice. Please consider this my personal invite to join the conversation. It's as easy as searching for the virtual advisor on Facebook or visiting the virtualadvisorseries.com. Today's guests are Brian and Shannon Miles. They're the founders of Belay, an organization that specializes in providing virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and web specialists to help companies grow. With over 1,100 team members all across the U.S. and literally no office space, have never had it, even before the COVID-19 pandemic, Belay has won a number of major awards for company culture, including Entrepreneur's Award for Top Company Culture in 2017. And that was up against many, many companies, basically all of them that had a brick and mortar office culture. Brian is also the author of Virtual Culture, The Way We Work Doesn't Work Anymore, a manifesto championing remote work and empowering employees with incredible talent to create a forward-thinking culture that embraces a future workplace environment. So today, Brian and Shannon are here to talk about what it means to create and maintain company culture in the virtual workplace. Obviously, the insights from this conversation couldn't possibly be more timely, especially if you're an advisor struggling to make sense of the transition from the on-site brick-and-mortar operation to an all-virtual, all-remote firm. Here are just a few highlights of what we get into. Number one, how can you create a culture of accountability and ensure that work is getting done in the virtual work environment? and the proven framework Brian and Shannon have been using to do this for years via Zoom. Number two, why it's so easy for business owners to come across as tone deaf in your message right now during the COVID-19 pandemic and how to tailor your messaging to provide value, cut through the noise, and change only where your conversation happens, not your value proposition. And number three, what financial advisors should know about working with business owners like Brian and Shannon and what their family office did to show up differently for them during this time. Okay, before we get to the show, Brian and Shannon have put together a couple of gifts for you Blueprint listeners that couldn't be more timely. First, they're sharing the Belay Guide to Working from Home. It's an extensive collection of tools and resources to help you and your team work remotely with confidence. There's a serious amount of wisdom packed into this give. It's all being provided for free, so don't miss out on it. Second, Brian sent me a box of autographed books that I'll be giving away until they are literally gone 
Brian not only preaches the virtues of having a virtual team, he lives it. And Belay doesn't even have an office and all of their employees work virtually. So we'll be giving away his book, Virtual Culture, The Way We Work Doesn't Work Anymore, a manifesto. So here's what to do next if you'd like the free working from home downloads or a copy of Brian's book. Number one, visit bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 74. That's 74. Those are the show notes. There's a graphic right at the top with all the details. If you're listening on a mobile player, simply scroll down to find the link. Number two, if you'd like a copy of Brian's book as well, all that I ask is that you leave an honest review out on iTunes. And number three, once you've left a review, just drop us an email via brad at bradleyjohnson.com with your iTunes username and a mailing address. We'll drop you a copy in the mail as a thank you. That simple. So that's it. As always, thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Brian and Shannon Miles. Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast. Special guests today, Brian and Shannon Miles. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey, thanks for the opportunity to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you. I'm excited to be here. Uh, you know, we were joking before we started recording here. I'm like, Brian, you inspired me so much on the last podcast, you working from home and recording from home. I just, you know, myself and the whole rest of the world decided to join you. So thanks for <laughs> starting a movement here. You know, anything I can do to, you know, trigger a pandemic, you know. Please <laughs> don't. <laughs> This wasn't my fault for the record. (laughs) Well, and Shannon, welcome to the conversation. Obviously, you two are partners in life and marriage, but also in business. Uh, Your name was brought up a lot on the last episode, so it's good to have you in person here as well. Thank you. I'm here to redeem my reputation. (laughs) No, Brian Brian and I, next month, we'll be uh, married 23 years. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Well, thank you. this, This year's 15 for my wife and I, Sarah and I. We were actually supposed to be not too far from you at Blackberry Farm celebrating our 15th. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping by the time uh, July rolls around, we can actually enjoy that trip. So we'll I see. hope that you can too. That place is really cool. Have you been there before? Our mutual friend, Michael Hyatt, was my introduction to Blackberry Farm. And now nothing else will live up to that experience <laughs> from here on out. <laughs> so, I hope well, you get there in the summer. Yeah, I hope so too. That's what that's what's getting me through this as I as I record from a, a spare bedroom that is now an office as well. So my my downstairs office was too close to the homeschooling area yeah. with three kiddos. So so it's the upstairs now. <laughs> so well let's let's dive in. So first off, I want to thank you. This conversation was kind of started by an impromptu text that I sent Brian. I'm like, hey, I'm getting hit up by advisors that we work with all over the country, all of them overnight have gone from a very brick and mortar business to hundred percent virtual. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, how can I add value to all of these advisors that need help running a team, meeting clients, creating culture. And I'm like, oh, you know, Brian and Shannon, they've run this little company that got turned into a big company, hundred percent virtually. And so you were kind enough to say, yeah, let's hop on, let's record. So a few things I want to dive into, I'm just going to come out of the gates firing here. Yeah. So for those that didn't catch the last episode, we'll put it in the show notes with you, Brian, where you described a lot of Belay, which was a virtual assistant company. But if you and Shannon can give kind of the cliff notes for those that haven't caught the last episode, what is Belay? What was the structure of the company? And then we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah. So when you own a business, it can be really hard to find great resources. So Belay exists to help growing organizations with their staffing needs. So like you mentioned, virtual assistants, 
bookkeepers and website specialists. We source team members from all over the United States that work virtually in those three capacities. Belay, we started in 2010 and have never had an office. So all 1,100 of our team members, whether they work as 1099 contractors for those three service lines, or if they're on the Belay corporate team, we all work remote. So we've shifted a lot of our of our marketing messaging to just help people know how to do that since it's really the the foundation of how we've set up our organization from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And can you give context? Because not only have you had a massive team virtually and never had an office ever, never had a physical right. office, correct? No office. Yeah. Well, you guys were so far ahead of the game on this. <laughs> we, we were virtual before <laughs> virtual was cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So can you also give context because not only did you run a virtual team, but you ran it so well to award-winning levels from multiple publications. So can you just, I know you're not egotistical people, but I think it's helpful for context. What were some of the awards that your business won with the virtual work environment? Well, besides like winning like best workplace awards in the Metro Atlanta area, uh, the biggest I would say connected to around our company culture was the Entrepreneur Top Company Culture Award. We won that in 2017, and we were up against 50 other companies that we think all still had offices. Mm-hmm. And we were the only one. And we we and so what word got out like, hey, how in the world did this company get number one without an office? Mm-hmm. And so we fielded a lot of kind of media and a lot of questions around that. And our answer is very simple: is that culture is not an office. Culture is shared vision. That's what culture is. And so. What we're finding, especially in a time like right now, is that people, especially employers or owners, are going, man, I don't, I don't know that I actually need an office. Mm-hmm. Like we're working, we're producing results. It seems like our teams are connecting. You know, there's, there's reasons to get together face-to-face still. And that's true of our company as well. We still have face-to-face meetings and we're not having That we're them. doing virtually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But having an actual physical office doesn't equal great culture. Like it doesn't matter if you have a ping pong table or a beer fridge in the back, or the most beautiful boardroom, that doesn't equal culture. It's people aligned around shared vision that equals culture. So my my encouragement, especially to FA or financial advisors out there, is short everything that has to do with commercial real estate REITs right now, because I think that they're going to be big carcasses all over our country once this is all said and done, of big buildings that are going to be very empty for a long period of time. I agree wholeheartedly with that. One of my clients, we were just talking yesterday and his question to me was, do you think once this, you know, once this COVID-19 thing, once it blows through, once it's over, do you think it'll ever go back to how it was before? I go, not a chance, not a chance because, you know, business owners are not dummies. And if they say, wow, here's the mortgage payment that comes in, you know, for the commercial real estate that we have to house all these people and, huh, I mean, there was an adjustment period, but we kind of weathered the storm and now whether it's Zoom that we're on right now or other, you know, Microsoft Teams has been a big one that's exploded. Mm-hmm. Yep. Slack, obviously. I think people are going to figure out really quick, to your point, culture does not equal physical proximity. Mm-hmm. So can either Shannon or Brian hop in here? Let's go back to you won this award and everybody that had an office said, how did you do that? So yeah. how did you do that? Like, what are some, some frameworks that maybe advisors could follow out there? Well, not to point to it, but this book I wrote, and it is our playbook. It's called Virtual Culture. The way we work doesn't work anymore. 
And it was our playbook. We're not saying that we've got it all figured out on how to create a virtual organization, but it's our playbook for how we did it. And there's so many practical things that we do in there, but a lot of them had to do with how we communicated, what we did to kind of defend culture and protect culture and a lot of things around like creating conflict norms and debate inside an organization. Those are all things that were part of that playbook that we wanted to share the world with. And yeah, I'm really proud of it. It's funny, like the book is actually selling better now than when we launched in 2018. So um, it's just timely. It's kind of weird. 2018 was the launch. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, this, this book is really helping me right now. Like, you know, well, I think at that point, you know, it was not only just to capture some really practical, you know, examples of how we've grown this organization, but also, you know, a lot of people were in this mindset of like, I know the world is becoming more virtual. Mm-hmm. My teams are asking to work remote, even if not a hundred percent part-time, like how can I make this work? And, and it was a lot of inquiry around being proactive and trying to get ahead of that curve. And now everybody's just thrown into this situation seemingly overnight, mm-hmm. you know, working remote. And so I think for those organizations that were able to get ahead of it and maybe have one or two days where their teams worked remote, they probably are weathering this a lot better than an organization that literally just had to go, like, you know, stay at home and figure out how to work from home overnight. But there are definitely some really practical tips in there about how to make it work, whether you were able to gradually transition or you know, how to do it immediately. I'll make this short as I can, but this idea, this is what employers and owners are dealing with right now is that it used to be that you, when you came into an office, there was this notion that was built around this old concept of factory work. So you think back to factories, what they would do is they'd put their folks in the middle on the assembly line and they'd put their managers around them in a circle. And the, the gist was, if I can see you, I can control you. Well, think about corporate office space today. You put everybody in cubicles in the middle and you put your managers on the outside walls around them. That's that same model. If I can see you, I can control you. Now that's gone. I can't see you. I have to trust you. And I actually think it's a beautiful thing for the workplace globally right now that's happening. It's because we're now as employers and as owners of companies, we're saying, I trust you to produce the result. I trust you to do the work when I can't see you. And it's creating whole new levels of connection with people with their employers right now. It's a pretty fascinating time. Very fascinating. And there's a lot of different directions I want to go here. First off, what an amazing name for a book. I can see why it's selling better. Uh, I, li- I literally <laughs> just created a private Facebook group because I was getting hit up by all of these advisors. It's like, how do I work virtually? How do I hold an appointment virtually? Sure. How do I market virtually? So I started a Facebook group, The Virtual Advisor. But that yeah. was like a week ago. You wrote the, the virtual culture two years ago. So well done. I guarantee it's flying off the shelves. And by the way, <laughs> I bought a bunch of those books for the first podcast. For those listening yeah, in you. right now, we'll tell you how to get a free copy because I still have a few of them. So I'm, I'm guessing those will fly off the shelf pretty quick. That's cool. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So let, let's, let's circle back around here. So what are some rhythms? You've led a team, an award-winning culture virtually. Back to your what you just went through. Hey, we've got all the workers in the middle, surrounded by their managers, checking in. Let's go to accountability first because that's a big one right now. Mm-hmm. I can't see my team's phone report. I can't pop over my head over their cube and make sure they got that project done. So how did you create accountability in a 100% virtual culture? 
I think it really starts with like our organizational goals and objectives. We set those out in the fall of every year for the following fiscal year. And it starts with knowing exactly where we're heading as an organization and then breaking that down into what does that mean for each team? How does each team contribute to those defining objectives? And then breaking it down even further of how does each team member individually contribute. So it's clarity from the very top all the way down to metrics of measuring job performance and KPIs. Mm -hmm. So it's not any different than if you were in the office together. That's just good business practice. But we, we found it even more powerful in our organization because if you are not clear on those things, if you're not clear about where the organization's heading or what the expectations are for the individual team members to help get there, is really easy to miss expectations. And it's really easy to cause frustration and lack of clarity. And I don't know how I'm doing. So we just try to remove as much of that ambiguity as possible. Are there frameworks like four disciplines of execution, entrepreneurial operating system, or did you create your own frameworks of kind of accountability? We create our own. The biggest premise is this, and we, we had to figure this out in the early days because we were all virtual. It's this principle right here that we believe in wholeheartedly is that as leaders in our organization, we need to delegate the result, not the task. That's a big thing right now that a lot of leaders are missing out on when they're sending people home right now to work from home is that they're giving them the 82 things they have to do to equal the result versus allowing them to own the result and then work backwards. And maybe they can do it in five steps, not 82. And it basically is saying to folks, hey, we trust you. You're an adult. We know your heart's connected to our organization and what we're trying to accomplish, but here's the result I need from you. And that's just a principle we've seen that's worked out so beautifully inside Belay is that we just allow people to own the result versus just the task. What's the rhythm of accountability? Is that weekly? Is it daily? Just kind of if you were describing the framework. It's based on really the role. Yeah. You know, like some of those things are like very lofty and big things. So those end up with our senior leadership team. And then there's mid-level managers in our business that maybe have more of a a monthly cadence or a biweekly cadence. And then we have frontline employees in our business that their result may be a a weekly or a daily cadence. Mm -hmm. So it, it really just depends on the role itself inside our organization. Like if you think about our sales positions, right? We use Salesforce. So they need to be logging their activity in the system. Same thing with our relationship management team, our our CSCs, they should be logging their activity in that system so that we can see the touch points that we're having with our prospects and our clients. But there are other positions that a weekly checkpoint is appropriate. And our leadership team meets every week. Just this year, we implemented, based on Dave Ramsey's model of team meetings, a, a weekly meeting where all 100 of our team members get together every Monday morning at 10 on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And it's led by our CEO and we highlight a core value and we have maybe one or two departments that are updated during that time. And then share a story, you know, just reinforcing our core values as part of those regular rhythms and cadence of meetings. So let's go into the tactics there. We literally just did one of those this morning at Advisor Excel, 600 employees. That's a big Zoom meeting. Yeah. Uh, are you doing meetings like we're doing now where everybody's on video? Are you doing webinars where the two of you are kind of broadcasting? What's the setup there? It's, uh, it's a giant, big Brady Bunch. So how does that even work on Zoom? Are you scrolling through? Yeah, like, mm-hmm. yeah you can get about the, What's the max squares on one screen? 25, I think. 20 or 25. Um, so you've got pages of 25 that you're just yeah. flipping through. 
And, and a really simple thing too, I mean, on something that size, we just ask everybody to go on mute. We have a clear agenda, like it's organized. It's not chaos. And the other thing too, is we want to see you. Like you have to be, on you video. have to be on video. It's not okay for you to not be on video right now because, you know, I joke about this, but you know, Brad, imagine you and I are having a cup of coffee, you know, face to face somewhere. And I go, Hey, hang on just a second. And then I drop a sheet down right in between the two of us. <laughs> and I go, okay, go ahead. Let's talk. Nowhere in this life would you tolerate that behavior. But for some reason we can hide our screen on video and that's, we just don't accept that as something you should do in belay. Yeah. But I mean, logistically for smaller zoom meetings where maybe it's our, our leadership team of 10, you are on video and you are not on mute because when you mute in a smaller group setting on zoom, you're basically having to decide if what you have to say is important enough to go off mute. And sometimes the conversation's happening so quickly, Mm -hmm. the moment passes and then you're just disengaged and disconnected. So barring any really distracting, you know, background noises, we say be on video, be off mute. The mute is the devil. (laughs) Let's talk about corrective action. So let's say you're doing one of these 10-person meetings and you've made it very clear. I'm sure even in your hiring process, you talk about it. Let's say you have somebody that's consistently going on mute or their video is popping off where you can just see their name. What's your first step of how you go about correcting that behavior? Well, conversation. It's a conversation. I mean, I've been in meetings where I've just said, we're not starting the meeting until Bob and Cindy are coming online. And then they get the point pretty quick. I can't think of, and maybe, maybe there are examples that I'm just unaware of, but I can't think of many of our team members who would just consistently show up that way Yeah, because it's just so ingrained in our culture that if somebody wasn't living up to those expectations or exercising them on a regular basis, there's probably something else going on. It's probably an indicator of, hey, is something happening at home? Is there misalignment in expectations? Like it's usually an indicator of something else that's the the bigger problem. Like when you, you know, in a marriage, when you fight about the toothpaste, it's not about the toothpaste, right? <laughs> it's like, are you disengaged from, from this team? Are you unhappy in your job? Or are you needing resources that you're not getting? Is that why you're, you're showing up this way? Yeah. yeah. So, so let's go. And I get that completely. And, and I think part of that is your whole business is built on a virtual culture. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to give advice to a brick and mortar company, that's now overnight a virtual culture, what would be your reasoning if you're communicating to employees, hey, this is why it's important videos on at the beginning mm-hmm. of every yeah. meeting and audios on? How would you communicate the importance of that? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. Like, hey, if you're going to be on a meeting, you need to be present. And the way you show me that you're present is by showing me your face. And especially in a conversation of less than, say, 10 or 12 people, I need to know that you're engaged in that conversation. Mm-hmm. So I need you to be off mute because I value your participation and your words. It might be a conversation where you're invited to the discussion, but not invited to the decision. We still need to see you and we still need to hear from you as well. It's very important. And so you say that a couple of times to people, they'll get it and they'll value that. They'll really understand where you're coming from. And I think it's, you know, that's the cool thing about creating a wonderful culture, whether it's on site or virtual. When you have a culture that's vibrant and pumping and protective, what happens is it chews out those people that don't want to be part of it. Because culture just protects the right things that matter for your business. And you can, once that's up in, in a very vibrant way, folks will say, this isn't working. You need to do this. And they'll defend it more than even the owners will. 
I think this is a really weird time though, Brad, because I think leaders need to be uber sensitive to where their team members are right now. Yeah. They're scared. They're uncertain about their jobs. Their kids are probably home. They're having to homeschool yeah. for the sure. first time. They, they may be working in the same environment with their spouse for the first time. Like they may be scared for their parents. Like who knows? I think Leaders need to be very, very sensitive to where their team members are right now Mm -hmm. and approach this situation with the long view in mind. It's less about, hey, here are the five things you need to do on Zoom to show me that you're still engaged. And it's more like, hey, guys, our cheese has been moved. Our cheese is not even in the same world that it was in a month ago. So let's all figure out together what our, our new normal is going to be and give some flexibility in that. I think in a, in a perfect world, you would say, you know, when you're working and you're on Zoom, your kids are not around, you have no distractions, you're very mindful of your environment, you have a separate space to work. Like those are those are the right things to do. It is not possible not for ideal. a lot of people right now. Yeah. And I don't think leaders should should approach this with too much rigidity or they're going to end up, you know, disconnecting their teams instead of engaging them during this time. With, you know, like I mentioned, taking the long view, this isn't going to last forever. We will get back to some form of seeing each other face to face. So I would lead in a way that you anticipate that instead of being too rigid with your teams right now about the rules and regulations. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I think there is an abundance of grace that's required right now from a leadership perspective. We've said this many, many times. People will remember how you treated them Mm. in this season. Yeah, They just will. This has never happened before in the history of Earth, as far as we know, to this level and magnitude. And so it's impossible for people to forget the season of time. And they're going to look back on it and they're going to see it. And they're going to remember the people that helped them. They're going to they're remember the people that weren't so kind as well. Yeah. So it's important that leaders remember that. So, so much gold there. I just want to encapsulate that. In fact, I will encapsulate it. That's going to be a solid clip we're going to redistribute. But Yeah, so much gold there. I think self-awareness as a leader right now has never been valued higher because yes, the tough part about that as a business owner, they've never had more stress as far as, okay, how do we keep the lights on? It's all hands on deck. So that's a very delicate balance right now that every business owner and entrepreneur is playing. Um, But to your point, how you show Mm -hmm. up in the tough times is how you will be remembered. That's right. Um, So, well, and we've talked to a lot of business owners right now who have been appropriately transparent with their teams. Like, I don't think you can, you can be a robot as a leader right now and say, we're, you know, let's pretend this isn't all happening and let's just move forward. It's like, Hey guys, here's, here's where we are as an organization. Here are the challenges that we're facing. Here's what we're doing to mitigate the risk and and here's how it's going to impact you. But I don't have all the answers, you know, like none of us know when things are going to start to turn around. So I think there's also, you know, an appropriate vulnerability that leaders need to have with their teams to, to let them know they're aware of, you know, the impact. Yeah. COVID-19 coronavirus, whatever we want to call it these days, it's the great equalizer. You know, it doesn't matter your wealth. Uh, it doesn't matter your religious stance. doesn't matter your politics. We're all actually pretty much in the same spot right now. You know, if we're mm-hmm. kind of, self-quarantining as I, I feel we all should be right now. So let's go, let's pivot a little bit. And I want to go to culture. I mean, we're kind of dancing all around it right now, but right now we can't get together face-to-face. 
I've had done some really cool things. I had a virtual happy hour with a couple buddies the other day. We did it with my team last Friday. And what's really interesting, what's been a learning experience for me, and I've pretty much built a virtual business in the last 10, 15 years on the coaching side with advisors in a weird sort of way. And I want to get your, your input on this. I feel more connected with my team than I ever have been. And Brian, you hit this on our last podcast because I'm seeing like, I'm invited into your home right now. I can see the background, right? You can see my spare bedroom right? and I've got team members, you know, dogs are barking in the background, but you're actually invited into people's homes right now. And I think the other thing is different from when we were in the office. If I had to go to a meeting, it was like, okay, I got to end this one. I've got to walk across the office. That's, you know, maybe a five minute walk in our office to get there. And it's kind of a pain in the butt to go to all these I can literally click, I'm in this meeting, I'm in this meeting. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually a lot more convenient to connect. I'm just literally popping in on team members. Our new business team just got crushed with a ton of business last month. Wow. And I'm like, hey, you all hanging in there? How's it going? I appreciate it. I know it's all hands on deck over there right now. I quite honestly would have probably never done that in a real office environment, but mm-hmm. it was really easy to do it on Microsoft Teams. I just pop in and say, hey, can I yeah. grab a minute? Yeah. So I'm kind of setting the stage there, but You've all run a virtual business much longer than I have. I'm sure you've got a lot of rhythms or systems for creating team culture. What are some of those that might be able to benefit the audience? Well, you know, it's funny. You're not the only one saying that. And by the way, we need to have grace extended to us. We have our mowers here and it's really loud. So we could not be mowing closer to our office than they are right now. This is a perfect example of grace that's (laughs) required uh, by us. So I think it was earlier this week, we had a conversation with the editorial director of Entrepreneur Magazine, really great guy. And he was talking about the same thing. Like they have an office in downtown New York and in Irvine. And he said, I actually feel closer to our teams now in Irvine than ever before. And he, and he was like trying to figure out like, why is that? And, and I think it's this right here is there's a, there's a level of presence mm-hmm. that's occurring on Zoom that doesn't even happen in an actual physical office. There's a lot of distraction in an office. And this is very connected. I mean, it's, you can pick up on facial expressions because I'm literally in your face. Like it's, it's a little different than an office. I just think that this whole concept of this idea that you're present physically with, you know, who you are and how you come across is being kind of, I don't know what the word is overseen in some ways. And it's the same thing is true. Like you're, you're getting a glimpse into people's lives, Like you're seeing their home right now. You're seeing their kids. You're seeing like life as it is in a dog or a cat walk by you. And you don't get that when you're just coming into an office every day. Yeah. You just don't see that side of folks. And so I think it's a really beautiful thing, thing for what's happening with teams and with companies' cultures right now, if they're really embracing this. Yeah. M- most days, my four-year-old does not walk into our, our boardroom and just join the meeting. And, you know, she usually does it at least once a day. So I'm surprised <laughs> she hasn't shown up yet. But that's what's cool about this. Like yeah. every single one of my clients, I'm on a coaching call. My four-year-old literally walked in one day sits on my lap and she literally just falls asleep right there on the chair. And we just kept the call going. And he's like, I guarantee he was, he's like, Oh my God. I mean, he's trying to interact with her and it's just a whole nother level of connection. And not like you want your children walking into every meeting, but back to grace, we all need a little bit right now. And it's, you know, it's, it's humanity right now. So at the beginning of this year, we launched a new organization called Own Not Run. And the whole intent is to help business owners experience freedom in their business. Well, when COVID-19 hit, a lot of business owners were just trying to figure out how to keep the lights on, let alone worry about you know achieving this 
self-actualized freedom in their business, right? So as part of our needing to shift the messaging and the resourcing of that organization, we started these series of COVID-19 conversations. And we're just interviewing people on Zoom that are in our network and talking about how they've been impacted. One of our first interviews was with Damon John. He's been a long time customer in front of our business. And, you know, he's in his, you know, on the porch or deck or whatever you call the balcony of his major awesome penthouse in New York City. And his chief of staff is in his house and we're here interviewing. And Damon's daughter just walks out and he puts on these boxing mitts and they just start boxing while we're talking. And it's like that obviously never would have happened if they weren't home. And it it just created this moment of relatability and genuine, like, yeah, like she wanted to play and we were having a comfortable, casual conversation. Why not put on the boxing mitts and just box at the same time? He wasn't any less professional. Right. He wasn't any less helpful. He wasn't any less impactful but there was that human moment that was pretty special. Yeah. I think we put on a facade like before March 16th, there was the, you know, social media is everybody's highlight reel. And you know, you saw people on TV all glammed up. Now we're seeing people on TV, like Kelly Clarkson, no makeup on. Yeah. Talking about, Montana. Yeah. Or that other girl, I can't think her name, brushing her teeth before 10 AM. Like <laughs> there's just an element of reality that's hit everybody right yeah. now. And so we yeah. need to encourage that with our teams too. So the fact that your daughter falls asleep or, you know, our mowers yeah. are going on or, you know, I'm, I'm growing out my COVID-19 face mask, <laughs> you know, like we're all just being real right now. And I love it actually. Yeah. Yeah. Authenticity, which was much needed in our cultures yeah. is actually coming back in a big way. It was funny, like last night, perfect example. I've got a buddy, Sean, coworker with me and has some of the best phone skills, uh, any sales skills of anyone I've ever crossed paths with. And we're just trading texts as buddies and some ideas some of our clients are running with where they're actually, all they're doing is going old school, picking up a phone and saying, Hey, Brian Shannon, I was thinking of you this morning. A lot of craziness out there. How are you doing? The family yeah. good? You healthy? You hanging in right. there? That's the opening. And the level of connection with advisors actually just picking up the phone like they haven't done in forever it's amazing how well that is working. Number one, just to check in with the clients, make sure they're doing all right. But number two, it's leading to a lot of business because people are so hungry for human connection right now. But anyway, long story short. So I'm talking to my buddy, Sean. I'm like, Hey, we should share that idea. And I'm like, what? We, We were actually each pouring a glass of wine. I'm like, let's just go on a zoom. We pop on a zoom. We have the same conversation we would have had anyway. And we just stream it right into the virtual advisor, Facebook group. Mm -hmm. And and, and I think that's the power of everything that's going on right now. It's, it's shifting the dynamic in how we think both personally and business-wise right now. And I yeah. just see so much opportunity for those that, you know, during times of hardship, it actually, if you look through a different lens, there's, time, there's so much opportunity out there right mm-hmm. now for those that, that want to take advantage of it and show up and serve. So I agree. There's some really innovative things happening that we're seeing across multiple businesses of, of our friends or whatever. And just a simple one, like with our brewery that we own, we've had to shut it down. I mean, we've, we're, we're going to lose in April 90% of the revenue we would have received normally. And mm-hmm. um, we're relying on to-go sales right now. And people are afraid to crawl out of their house right now. So yeah, it's just, it's limping along. Mm-hmm. However, we're doing that. And I'm really proud of it. And we've also decided to help our community with our teams. Like we've, we've told them, you get to keep your jobs. We're going to continue to pay you. 
like that's on purpose. And with this, now we get to be a blessing to other people. And and so it's just, it's being appropriate with your organization or your business and being innovative because there are so many new ideas and new opportunities that are going to not only happen after this, but even during this season mm-hmm. of time. So I'd encourage folks to continue to be innovative and not wait or press pause on that. It's starting right now. Yeah. I see this. I was talking to another buddy. Actually, I've got a friend, Amber, that runs. She runs it. She builds a lot of websites for influencers, New York Times bestsellers. And the, uh, so are you guys, are you all familiar with Pete Vargas? Have you crossed paths oh, yeah. with him yet? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so Pete, Pete's awesome guy. Uh, he's been on the podcast in the past, but right now he's doing a virtual web series called Rise Up. And Mike Hyatt, our mutual friends on there, you guys should probably be on there. He, if you're not, you need to ping him and say, hey, get us on there because you'd be <laughs> awesome on there. But he's just going out and he's like, hey, there's so many entrepreneurs out there trying to figure this out. Let's just serve them. It's not a paid program or anything like that. It's just live streaming conversations with big business leaders that are all facing this together. And it's it's like, hey, all of us combining our powers and you know, we're going to get through this a lot faster than if we're all siloed trying to figure it out on our own. And I just... I think there's so much opportunity. So let's go back to the, so is it COVID-19 conversations or is it COVID conversations? 19. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I just love the play on words there from a yeah. marketing, a candid conversations, COVID conversation. But let's go into, we talked before we went live and Shannon, I think you said it. You said, we're doing this own, not run. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, well, that's kind of tone deaf right now because nobody's thinking about running a business from the beach right now. So you switched and you said, here's what business owners really need. And we're going to do these COVID-19 conversations. How quickly did that happen? How quick did you get it up and running? And what's been the feedback so far from just your audience or your tribe on that? Mm -hmm. Can we share a little bit about the origin of Own That Run? If anybody's like... Yes, please. The climbing story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Please do. That's your story. All right. (laughs) Yeah. So Own That Run was really born out of the experience we had nine months into our business. So in 2011, we had a really cool thing happen that our friend Michael Hyatt signed as a client. That was a really cool moment. But another moment during that, almost that trip while we were in Wyoming is um, I was climbing the Grand Teton with a friend of mine and wildly successful business guy. And long story short, he was asking me some questions in the tent around 10,000 feet. And he said something around the fact of like, you don't own your company. And I'm like, "Uh, yes, I do. And you know, like, you know, I was getting a little peeved and he goes, no, you just need to understand that the day that the business doesn't need you day to day is the day that you own your business. Until then, you run it. And I was like, ah, oh, he didn't hear right. that. He's so right. So we climbed to the top. We came back down the next day. And I told Shannon, I'm like, this is the story. This is what he said. So Shannon and I just kind of built this mantra between the two of us of own, not run. And this idea that we're going to own the business and allow other people that are really qualified and great and we'll resource and equip them to run it. Mm-hmm. So own not run was this thing we just kind of carried and we actually saw it to fruition with Belay where we now are co-chairs of Belay and we have a CEO that's very capable. That was our former COO that's now running it in the CEO capacity for Belay. And when we did that, we thought, okay, we need the, now that we've done that, we've done it also with our brewery as well. We have a really great person that oversees the brewery day to day and we can act in the owner capacity for that. We thought, and we've had a lot of people say, how in the world do you yeah. do this? So we want to create content to teach business owners how to enjoy the freedom of owning their business. But right now, there's not a lot of freedom. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of pain. And so we wanted to be appropriate in our messaging right now to say, hey, like that season will come again. 
But right now, what's it mean to be a really good owner? Mm-hmm. What's it mean to really steward your business right now in this kind of season? So that's kind of where the, the COVID-19 conversation come from is this place of like, let's talk about what it means to be a leader or an owner during this season of time. And it's created and fostered some amazing conversation and a lot of transparency. And we're getting really great feedback on and people are appreciating it. So we're happy to do it. Yeah. And the evolution of you know, the change we had to make happened pretty quickly. You know, we just, this is brand new. It's a baby company. We just started in January. So we had, you know, this grand plan of plan of content development and free resources, paid resources, curated events. You know, the train has left the station. We're geared up just like a lot of business owners, right? Mm-hmm. This master plan for 2020. And then the middle of March happens and it's like, how can we start to market and communicate about this amazing event in Rosemary Beach in October that people will pay for when like there's nothing going on in Rosemary right yeah. now. Like everything is shut down and, and so many business owners are just trying to figure out how to stay afloat. That just felt very tone deaf. So when we, Brian and I sat down, it was like the Thursday after everything started closing. He's like, I think we need to pause or not run. I was like, no, like we still need to do it. And he's like, Shannon, who's going to want to come to an event this fall when they don't even know when they're going to be able to travel again? It's like, dang, you're right. But what ended up evolving over the next week or so is less of a pause and more of a transition because I don't want to say pivot. I've said it a thousand times in the last two weeks. I'm doing everything I can to not use that word, but that's what it was. So that was the birth of these interviews, these conversations that we were having. We felt like that is where we could bring the most value to the people we're trying to serve during this time. So let's apply that to financial services because I was just having a conversation yesterday on this and very successful firm, 100 million plus of assets gathered on an annual basis, which is the top like 1% of the 1% of the 1%. And what I've found, back to your transition word, I see because the rules of of the game have changed, people are getting overwhelmed and paralyzed by kind of all of the moving parts. Do I get a Zoom account? Do I get a Webinar Jam account? Microsoft Teams? Oh, wait, how do I do? And so that's just overwhelming to them. And I found what's really helped advisors cut through the noise is your business model has not changed. Like your, I should say your value proposition has not changed. Mm-hmm. What's changed is the location of where that conversation happens. Mm-hmm. It's still the same conversation, but to your point, Shannon, on tone deafness, if you were doing tax planning events prior to this, you probably don't want to do a webinar right now of, hey, tax planning tips for retirees. <laughs> <laughs> Tone deaf, exactly. right? So maybe you say, hey, three tax planning tips for retirees to take advantage of during the COVID-19 pandemic. Right. Okay. Still same principles, but now we're, I call it the wrapping paper around the message, right? You've just made sure, hey, you're on point and you're actually talking about what people care about right now, which is 100% that because that's all that they see in their newsfeed, their Twitter feed, wherever they're at. So let's now go to, I want to go to like you as business owners of this brewery. Mm -hmm. And this goes more into the marketing that we're kind of unpacking for advisors right now. So high level, you've got Belay, super successful business, so successful. And you took your own advice, own not run. You've now transitioned. Was that beginning of 2020? To the new CEO? Yeah. A thousand years ago, three months ago. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, so 2020, you're now shareholders, but not operating 
right? That's right. So you transition there. Here's the, and then in between that, the brew is, my words, not yours, was kind of a fun project that you started that was an obviously another business, retail business there locally. And now you've got this new business venture, Own Not Run. Mm-hmm. So let's just put Belay and Own Not Run on the shelf for a second. Let's uh-huh. go to the, the business that I'm guessing is impacted the most right now, which is the brewery. Yeah. For sure. Which, yeah. Uh, so NOFO Brew Co. That's no, right. What's NOFO stand for? It stands for North Forsyth. It's the area we live in our county here in oh, okay. North Atlanta, NOFO. And we, okay. we like to say drink NOFO like a mofo. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> well, I had FOMO. When yeah. I was in Atlanta, and I yeah, that's right. Up because I didn't have enough time. So once this opens back up, I will be swinging by. Please but, do. So let's go to now. Before we went live, and you hit a little bit of this on the last interview, Brian. Your family office you use that handles mm-hmm. the finances for the family and the businesses and all of that. You said they'd actually been very proactive, and so I want to speak to financial advisors out there that want to work with small business owners because those tend to be really good clients. Yeah. If you were giving advice to financial advisors out there, as you've navigated this as a small business owner that now has a business that's shuttered currently and right. the, the revenue hit, like you said, 90% of revenue disappeared overnight. Yep. What did your current family office do right in their communication and how they helped you? And also, are there any things they didn't do that you wish they would have if you were a financial advisor out there? Yeah, I think one of the first things they did was, and we got a call from the owner the guy that founded it and also from kind of our person in the family office, it's kind of appointed to work with our family on a more consistent basis. And they both called separately and just, they met us at our point of need. Mm-hmm. How are you? And they didn't approach it from how it impacts their business. They just said, how are you? I mean, they could clearly see our numbers, right? So they, they know where our numbers are because we have a lot invested with them, but it was just, just give me a baseline, understand where you are right now. If we know what's going on with the numbers. We see that. We have a plan for it. I'll share that with you in a little bit, but just how are you? And that uh, that level of humanity that they they approach the conversation with, they, they work with some very wealthy families. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're on the lower end of their, their spectrum. We're first-generation wealth. And so they've got families with second, third-generation wealth. And, they're, and what they reassured me and Shannon was, hey, this is happening to everybody. People with the tons of money mm-hmm. and wealth, they're still impacted in this in the same way that you are as well. So it it helped almost level the playing field to say, okay, well then what are we what are they seeing that's practical? And they gave us some you know some ideas, you know, and some things to consider. They told us, you know, make sure you're looking at the the stimulus bill and how that's mm-hmm. going to impact your business. Make sure you're paying attention to the law and how certain people might take advantage of the Family Medical Leave Act if that changes. They were just very proactive and and saying, hey, look at these things. This is what we're hearing. This is what we're seeing. And that meant a lot because it just Mm -hmm. showed that they were in the bunker with us, you know, that they were taking on mortars as much as we were. So we are now, what is today, April, they all blend together anymore. (laughs) Yeah. There's no division between weekends and weekdays. I missed my mom's birthday this week. That's how bad it got. Uh, Uh. We can edit that out if we need to. That's okay. It's part of my therapy. I just have to keep saying it. <laughs> okay, so we're it's now April 10th, about approximately how far into the COVID-19 crisis before the phone call the personal phone calls hit. Just so standpoint. I kind of look at it as March 16th is where I feel like just stuff at the fan and it was like the next day I got a phone call. I mean, it was rather quick and it started with an email. Can I jump on and chat with you? And 
yeah, it was it was just very wonderful for them to say, look, we're here through this with you. You know, we got you. You know, we're I and not to freak out. Yeah, you know, they're very very just. Everybody's going through it. We'll weather it together. I think a sense of calm is very important. Yeah, and then they did that, and we're able to kind of maintain that then for the people that are employed by us too across our our businesses. But there was a sense of calm and reminder. Hey, you know, this isn't the first time. You know that crazy stuff happened in the market. Mm-hmm. You know, this might be the first pandemic, but this is in a sense, and we'll get through this. And yeah. it was just a kind of a solidarity element of it that was really great. And to you've see. talked to them probably oh. every other day since then. Yeah, they've been very active. Yeah, you know, and they, as they should be. You know, they're we are their business, and I think we're they're up to fifty Family. families. Mm-hmm. You know, right now that they oversee over, and they started back in '99. They average about two families a year that they bring on. Mm-hmm. So at per year and very boutique, very. And so I, you know, I didn't know what to expect when something like this would hit, but I've been pleasantly surprised. And I think that's important. I think for financial advisors to really understand is that no matter how big or small a client is, they will very much appreciate the personal, genuine connection to them in a season like this. As I, it's, like I said yeah. earlier, we will remember how people treated us in this season of time. I, I was about. So, so I'm going to ask you each of this separately. So this will be a fun little relationship quiz. So, so let's go into the personal psychology. Let's say 10 is perfect relationship. Like this office that you're working with couldn't have done anything more perfect prior to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say one is they, you need to fire them. So each of you just maybe think of a number right now, your number before this, and now your number after this based on their communication level and what you've seen since. So before and after numbers, Shannon, you got yours? Honestly, I know I'm throwing you on the spot here. No, you're not. I just, I can't think of anything but 10 and 10. We've never had an issue with this firm and their approach has been the same before the crisis and after. So they're, they've always given us this level of service and communication. So it just hasn't felt any different. Yeah, I would say... Maybe ten and then eleven, okay. you know, like. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, we're—they're not paying us a thing right now. In fact, yeah. we're paying them. But the, yeah. the the bottom line is, when we first thought through, okay, we need a family office. This what needs to look like. They showed us like this isn't just a. This is not an engagement with you. This is actually an engagement with grandkids that you don't have. This is a hundred year approach that we're taking, and so that brought a lot of sense to this. That there's no. No reason to be in haste and make decisions. It's just we're gonna we're gonna start mitigating your risk. We're gonna start looking at things differently for your family as a whole, and we're gonna manage your wealth in a different way than what you may know because we're first generation wealth. We, we came from very modest backgrounds. You know, we don't know, and so we're we had to mm-hmm. lean into people because we've been blessed with something that we want to steward really well, mm-hmm. and so. And it maybe would be different if we had experience across other family offices or something like that, but we yeah. haven't. But I will just tell you, like their approach, there's been no hard right turn with these guys in this experience. It's just, look, this is what we're doing. This is the plan we have in place. This is how we leverage a down market. This is how we leverage an up market. Like mm-hmm. this is this is our plan, and it's it just makes good sense. And and by the way, that plan was determined for us specifically. They have different plans and different investment profile types based on the family and what they want out of it. So we agreed to, mm-hmm. we had a meeting about it, we signed off on it. And so they're following the miles plan on, on in terms of how we approach this, uh, coupled with this overlaying guidance 
with their team internally. All right. So I want to unpack that a little bit. I'm going to just, I'm going to make a blanket statement, please. No numbers or anything like that. But I'm going to assume like everybody else in the world right now, your account amount, the amount in the portfolio or the plan prior to this, and as opposed to today is below what it was going into this. Is that fair correct. to say? That is correct. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting is you go through the communication and the ramped up communication during a difficult season yeah. and your rating went from a 10 to a 10 and a 10 to an 11 as the account value actually took a dip. Yeah. Huge lesson right there. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as proactive communication, how you show up in the hard times. The second thing I heard you say was, I heard you say it, the word plan at least two or three, maybe four times there. So one of the things that we preach from the mountaintops on our side is there's a very big difference between building a portfolio for a client mm-hmm. and building a plan. That's right. Portfolio just does whatever the market does. It rides the roller coaster, right? A plan strategically, like you said, up market, down market, how do we navigate those? Well, there's different plans for each of those two scenarios. So it sounds like they were very proactive on the planning side, which I'm sure also leads to a lot of the the positive from yours. Is that fair? Yeah. And we review it twice a year with them too. So we're really aware of if any adjustments need to be made. And as our kids age, you know, they're 14 and 11 right now, the plan's going to look different five years from now, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's important for people to, I mean, we, we talk about this with our sales team at Belay all the time. People don't buy products and services. People buy relationship. People buy from people they like. And so it's important that your relationship and the person that you are shines through in transactions way more than the product or service itself. Yes, it's got to be there and it's got to be a competent thing and a competent product and it's got to perform, but they're not buying that. They're buying you. And so that's what we did was we bought the owner of the family office and the guy that would be working with us on an ongoing basis. That's who we really bought. And it, that is fortunately for us has been a consistent thing all along. Hmm. So, yeah. you know, it's, I mean, we've referred oh. several families to the, to the firm yeah. because we've been so pleased. Yeah. Okay. So this is kind of fun. This is my first uh, husband wife at the same time. So I love the dynamic of both viewpoints. So relationship quiz number two here. So let's go to, you bought the firm for the relationship. If you had to define that down to one word, like here was the one way they showed up that we were like, yes, this is the firm for us. Think of that word. And Shannon, what's your word? Brian, what's your word? Shannon, I'll let you, you have, you both have it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Shannon, what, what's your word? Specialized. And Brian, what's yours? Mine's clarity. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. What would, yeah. based on how we were talking about the firm, did you, did those words surprise you? Not really. No. Yeah. Specialized. I think what's interesting, business owners and, and going to family office as wealth accumulates, you need more specialization. There's more moving parts. There's more tax planning, estate mm-hmm. planning. Right. Um, it's not just a financial plan. It's how all of those worlds, you know, kind of work Align. together in conjunction. Yeah. So that absolutely makes sense. And then clarity, that's an interesting one because I think that applies to every financial advisor under the sun. It's the Tony Robbins. How do you simplify the complex? The, yeah. the firms that are best at doing that are the firms that win the most clients. Yeah. So it's... Well, if you look at like why we made this decision, what kind of forced us to start thinking this through is one, we were starting to handle more wealth, but be- beyond that, it was more of a, man, things are getting really complex. Like there's this 
estate planning stuff. And then over here's our CPA and over here's like, you know, well, how we need to think through some other legal issues and risk mitigation. And it's like insurance, all this stuff is swirling around our family and we want to be wise with it. And we want to protect our family long-term. And it, and it was just like, man, we have to go build these independent relationships with everybody. And, and when I started to understand like the concept around a family office, I'm like, Oh, this makes a lot of sense. Like this, this is, this is a no brainer. And then, you know, we, as we qualified these guys in particular, they have a staff of about 40 full-time people. They've really worked really hard to create an environment where families feel welcome and, and safe. And like, you know, simple things like our guys, they actually sit down with our kids independent of me and Shannon. And I'm like, well, why would we want to do that? They're like, well, if you two are dead, they've got to feel comfortable with us. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> terrible but yeah, brilliant yeah. but you think about that they, like they got to figure out which one's going to blow the big inheritance fastest right <laughs> exactly yeah. so, so it, hold up four, 14 and 11 they're sitting yeah. down with right now yeah yeah one-on-one yeah well at breakfast they'll to get they did together yeah yeah wow. but we weren't there on purpose that's intentional you know they want and so and they asked like how we were as parents and things like that. So the kids had a really good time with it. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. But it was, you know, it's little simple things like that that add up. You yeah. Know? Because God forbid something like that would happen to mom and dad. These two people won't be strangers and they'll be making significant lasting decisions on behalf of our kids. So there needs to be a rapport there, a recognition of this. So there's not some stranger walking into a room. And, and so that's what I mean is there was a lot of complexity and a lot of things I just didn't know or understand, nor did I really want to at a molecular level that we, we needed and we knew we needed to have for our family. And then the relational elements kind of glued all that together, which were very important. Yeah. I think, you know, another value that I didn't anticipate having from engaging with this firm, but has been one of the most powerful, you know, things for me, Brian is a big picture thinker. He's always trying to look around the corners, model different scenarios, get ahead of anything that could happen. And in the past, like he'd have to run those things by me or these big visions and dreams. And he still does, but now he's got an objective third party that's in our corner to bounce all of those ideas off of and model these different scenarios with. And it's given a lot of peace in our relationship that I didn't anticipate because he at least has a, a healthy outlet for that part of who he is. And that's probably why clarity came to mind because he could run these different scenarios by Ken and Steven and brainstorm things and then have clarity on the other side about what to do without that affecting he and I as husband and wife. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. It's a great, like a vetted sounding board. Yeah. 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 That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And then they know long-term what we're trying to accomplish and they'll go, Oh, that's a great idea. Or, man, I'd rethink that. Or you need to talk to this guy about this or whatever. They've, they've created a really great safe harbor for those things where you can't just go do that with like maybe uh, an employee in a company or whatever because yeah. they, they don't have context or understand risk maybe at that level. And they're not doing anything wrong. It's just they're not in this seat that I'm in or we're in. Yeah. The other thing too that I'm just thinking about all this now, didn't know we we're going to talk about family offices. That's cool. <laughs> I will tell you another cool thing about a good family office is they'll also bring you appropriate amount of deal flow for you to consider because they see deal flow all the time mm-hmm. with across multiple families. And so there's some cool opportunities to present themselves that you know wouldn't otherwise be out there in the public for people to take advantage of. And we've, we've been a recipient of that, which is really cool too. 
we've all sat in masterminds and the power of a mastermind is, you know, it's kind of the old Jim Rohn. You're the average of the five people you surround yourself with, with them working with 50 ultra high net worth families, some of which are multi-generational and have Mm -hmm. kind of gone down the road prior to you. Have there been any synergies and connections? They've said, Brian and Shannon, you need to meet these other clients we work with because I think they can help you there from a business perspective or just a you know, a vision perspective of what your family might face in the future. Has that happened or is... is Yeah, there is an air of obviously for privacy sake, but they will, what what they're really good at doing is saying, hey, they won't name the family, but they'll say, they thought through it this way Mm -hmm. and we can black out everything and show you kind of like what specific tenants were there or in like, you know, deciding on a particular document or whatever, they've done a really good job of showing you like the spectrum of how things can be done. Cause there is some subjectivity to that. Yeah. And they, they've done a really good job of providing examples around that. Yeah. More so that than connecting families direct yeah. for, you know, brainstorming or, you know, masterminding kind of things. What they have done really well though, from a networking perspective is they've got a deep network of professionals. Yeah. So they'll quickly say like, okay, that's outside of our scope. We know this one person that can do this one thing and we're going to bring them in and they got a great network that's already established. Another great thing that like quarterbacking. we don't have, yeah, mm-hmm. we don't have to go scramble and figure out. Yeah. So Shannon, I want to ask you this because one of the, I won't even put context. <laughs> on so, so I'll just, I'll just go ahead and ask it. What was your experience as the female in this whole conversation? How were you treated just I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm not even going to lead a direction. How are you? Oh, no, it's fine. Keep going. I'm going to hear where else you engagement process of, <laughs> of, from this firm. You know, Brian and I are a rare breed, I guess. And like you said, this is the first husband and wife I've talked to you about. We get that all the time. Like, mm-hmm. as far as we know, we're the only husband and wife that are in business together that are clients of this firm. Mm-hmm. It could be that the husband and wife are separate business owners and they're you know doing separate things or you know it's been the husband's business or it was the wife's family business or whatever. So because we are so 50-50 in our business, we approach the family office and we're approached by them as equals. And so it was never, I don't know, never a like a tagging along or a oh let's let's you know, fill her in after the yeah. fact, it was always coming to the table side by side as, as equals. Was there any ways from their perspective that the firm made sure that you knew that that was the case? Hey, Shannon, we view you as an equal. We're treating you as an equal in this decision-making process. Anything that stands out? I mean, I'll answer for her. I, I just, think so. you know, there was never this idea of like, come on, little lady, you know, yeah. let's, yeah. let's, you know, let's, let's tease you out some information here. It was like, you two are this together. We get that. You know, you're 50 50 partners. You started this together. You co founded everything together. Is this very much this respect? Yeah. I think that has always been there. You know, we live in. I a, think that would have been a red flag for us yeah. if there was any sense of patting me on the head and, you know, oh, the, the wife, yeah. you know, of the. And her radar is up for things like that. That would have been a big red flag for us to move forward with them as a firm. Maybe that's one of the things that made us feel comfortable with them in is that they didn't show a distinction between how they were interacting with me and how they were interacting with Brian. And and it also showed that they understood it. 
yeah. too. I mean, I think that that's important. Like, that I'm certain there are families where the dad, if you will, the great patriarch mm-hmm. is, you know, the ruling jefe and he gets to say and do whatever he wants. That's just not our family. It's not how we approached it. And they were really quick to acknowledge that, I think. Yeah. And the reason I didn't want to lead the conversation, I, I kind of wanted to, but I wanted to just get yeah. your feedback because I see that as a common theme of financial services, very male dominated. Now sure. there's a lot of female rock stars that are very quickly climbing the ladder and quite honestly, kicking the guy's butts because they actually listen to people and have empathy. So that's helpful. <laughs> but uh, one of the things I see is a common, it's almost like a um, blind spot for a lot of advisors where, mm-hmm. you know, they sit down at the table and if you were my client, Hey, Brian, and right. literally 95% of the conversation happens right here. Michael Hyatt was just claiming you know, on the last interview we did, he's like, that was one of the reasons we left our current, our previous advisor because he didn't view it as equals, yeah. you know? So I just think that's such a blind spot and it's cool to hear like that would have been a red flag had they had that blind spot, but they, they obviously didn't. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that that's, it behooves the financial advisor or the family office or whatever to, to really understand and do the, do the homework on the people that they're sitting down with ahead of time and really knowing and re- reminding themselves that people buy from people they like. You can't come across as chauvinist. You can't, you know, you got to show that there's confidence. We made this decision based on a hundred year idea, literally, you know, they, the premise was first generation makes it second generation stewards it and third generation spends it. <laughs> and we're like, well, we don't want that to happen. And so they said like, well, you know, let we take a hundred year approach to this. And they kind of walked us through kind of the, the methodology behind it. And they knew that that would be something that'd be very important for us to hear as first generation. And I, I just, I can't overemphasize like the importance of really understanding who you're talking to and where they sit. It's important that you know the messaging connected to that. How did they phrase that? You said it earlier. You said, we're making decisions that will impact your grandkids. Is that what they yeah. said? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That you don't even have right now. That's right. right. Yeah. So they took the long view. I mean, they, and he, as specifically the guy that started, his name's Ken. Ken was like, this is how I've done it with my family. I'm first generation and this is what I've done. And, and so it was, it was very personal too. It's like, Hey, I'm on this journey with you. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was very helpful versus this guy that's got it all figured out, all buttoned up. Yeah. He was just very yeah, like, their no. kids aren't that much older. Than yeah. So, you know, what's interesting too, when we started to make a profit at Belay and started to have some money that we could put away and not have to reinvest every dollar into the business, one of our greatest fears as parents is that we would have entitled children. Mm. Being entitled was never an option for Brian and I. So <laughs> our kids have access to more resources than he and I ever could have imagined. And our fear was that it would be an expectation that they would just grow up with a certain level of travel and gadgets and you know material things that would make them entitled. And so when we shared that, fear with the family office and really leaned into them to help us figure out how not to let that happen. That's been one of the recurring things that we talk about during our meetings is, you know, what they've seen work with other families, what they have done with their children to slowly Mm -hmm. turn over monetary responsibility so that you're not flooding them too young with something that they can't even handle. So just the really tangible, practical we don't want to ruin our kids. How do we raise as good a kids as possible has been even the extent that our family office has partnered with us in. So it's not just the portfolio. It's not just the investments. It's how do we have a, 
a family that fulfills the vision that Brian and I have? And how does our family office help us do that? Mm. So Shannon, that hits home with me as a poor farm kid. <laughs> it's funny. I, I bought my first pair of Air Jordans like two months ago. <laughs> and and I was like, this is a midlife crisis because I couldn't have them when I was a kid. So now I'm buying them and I'm like the, the almost 40-year-old dude rocking the Air Jordans, but whatever. <laughs> Better late than ever. Uh, it's better than a gold chain and a Corvette. Or yeah, a there we go. So, or a girlfriend. <laughs> so, so let's go to that because also a really, Sarah, my wife and I, that's a big thing for us is our kids are growing up with things we never had. And yeah. that we've all seen it play out if you don't do it well and it's not pretty. Were there any ideas or core themes, takeaways from these conversations that you implemented to not raise entitled kids? Well, the cool thing was, is they've also spent time around our kids and they were quick to say like, Hey, you've got some great kids. They were kind. And they're like, we we're around some kids that are pretty interesting. So yeah, without like, naming names. And yep. so I'm like, oh, okay, well we've, yeah. we at least benchmarked. Okay. We're not ruining them yet. <laughs> yeah. That was confirmation. <laughs> but I, I think that they've also, they showed us in their own families, but also examples of other families, how they've approached this at the at an age specific type of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's been very helpful too. Like, you know, you don't just hand your kid it at the legal age of 18, you know, in our state, $25 million of cash, right? Just, you don't do that. Not that we even have that to give, right. but <laughs> the point is you do it in a way that is very age specific and it's thought through and you put the intent as the family or as the parents into what's happening. So there's the distribution maybe of wealth, but there's also the distribution of intent that goes with it. Mm-hmm. Here's expectations. Here's things that we want to see. Here's the freedom that you have. Here's the blessing that comes with that. Here's what you're to be as a blessing to others. Mm-hmm. So there's there's all these dynamics that you know you want to impart, and they kind of just create a framework for you to do that. And that I mean, I remember what was that document we created that was like the like you said the intent, and then what we're doing with the money. Yeah, it's 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 tied to us. It was tied to our estate planning, yeah. but it was almost like um, kind of like beyond what happens with the estate. Here's the intent behind it, and here's kind of what mom and dad want to see happen into multiple generations. And so these like are a, the, like a legacy document is what that yeah, is like. It, exactly. Less, yeah. 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 And so it, 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 you know, it's our way of speaking into maybe a generation we'll never meet, you know, Lord willing, I get to mm. hang out with my grandkids, but maybe not my great grandkids. Right. Wow. So what are the things we want to push into the future that it's important when you say you're part of the miles family that are part of that. And a lot of it has nothing to do with the dollar sign. Yeah. A lot of it has to do with your responsibility and care for others. Mm -hmm. Like one of those things in there is we we value taking calculated risks. So we'll allocate a certain amount of money for you to start a business. But there's conditions on it that we specify and like a term, you can't just go out and create a new business every year and then it sucks. Mm -hmm. Like, so there's, there's, there's some framework around rounds of funding or something like that. So just, you know, practical things like that, that are tying the things that we value as a family to how that will translate monetarily for the kids. I'm curious because this is a question I've asked a lot as a parent, because entitled kids is one of my biggest fears. A common theme I've heard from pretty much everybody that has been successful, that has not raised jerks for kids has been some form of service or giving or, you know, called a mission trip third world country and actually be exposed to people that have needs. And, you know, it makes you really quickly realize, oh, wow, I thought I had a, you know, rough when I didn't get to order what I wanted at 
at Buffalo right. Wild Wings, right, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah. has any of that context been woven in where they've said, hey, here's how other families served together or exposed their kids to others in need? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm very much encouraged. Also, very much encouraged to create the dynamic and make sure it's really solid between parent and kid and creating an environment where communication is really clear around that. You know, and then also, yeah, going out and seeing that, you know, hey, you actually are, you come from a family of means. So what is that for you? Like, what, what's your responsibility with that? We talk about that often with our kids. Yeah. It's like, yes, you have a different life than mom and dad had. And we're actually really proud of that. Mm. But you have a responsibility now in a growing way that we believe that God's working into your heart, a responsibility to be a really great contributing adult to this world one day. And so we want you to carry that. We don't want you to be intimidated by it. We want you to just to carry that responsibility in a a healthy way. And so we, Mm -hmm. that is a conversation we have. Like we're, we're actively involved in a few ministries. One in particular is an organization called Care for AIDS. And it's this really beautiful ministry that's done really, really well and ran really well too. And they go into places in East Africa and they build centers to help people that have been ostracized to have AIDS. They created centers around that. And so we're giving our kids glimpses of like how we're being responsible as adults so that they can model that as they get older as well. Mm, such a powerful word there, modeling, not saying it, actually doing it. Doing you it. Know? Yeah. I love the lens you're looking through. We're not apologizing for being successful, you know, cause we worked our butts off to get here, but that I think you've even said it stewardship a few times. There's a stewardship that comes along with that. And we mm-hmm. want to make sure you're prepared to handle it. That's cool. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, we dove like way deep there, but <laughs> that's such a powerful conversation for advisors out there that are trying to figure out what what do successful people actually want and need and what drives these decision factors. So thanks for welcoming us into the psychology of what's going on in your head. So. You that, that is a first for us to talk about on a podcast interview. I promise you that. <laughs> that's where I try to go on these podcasts. That's channels. great. I want you just talking about Nailed the same it. stuff you do on every other podcast. So. <laughs> Well, cool. I know we're getting towards the end of our time here together. Um, I'm just trying to see. I had okay, so I've got one other. Just we can hit this really quick. Um, you mentioned the the office you work with and how they kind of poured some resources in. One of the things that's top of mind, which I think they're out of money already, but so we might be a little bit behind the eight ball here. But the Paycheck Protection Program, which is kind of yeah. the small business owners uh, relief fund from the government, and my guess is that won't be the last one. There will probably be new yeah. rounds of that. Mm-hmm. How did your firm say, hey, you own a brewery that's shut down right now. Yeah. Go apply for this loan. Are they literally filling out applications on your behalf or how was the messaging around that? It was a rather quick phone call with the guy that owns it. His name's Ken. He just said, you guys need to do this. It's looking like, you know, first off, did you keep your staff? Yes. Okay, go do this. And, you know, he just explained how other families are doing it right now. I, because I kind of, I had a little bit of guilt, like, you know, we we're in really good cash positions in our companies. Like we were yep. really hard to have solid cash positions. We know where our cash is. Do we really even need to ask the government? Are we taking it out of someone else? And he quickly just said, just do it. There's mm-hmm. plenty of families that are doing this. Like it's, it's just a, it's more or less a grant when it's done the right way. But the other cool thing, because we work with a very large bank here in Atlanta called BB&T. Well, it's actually now called Truist. They merged with SunTrust. Um, all of our, a lot of our accounts across our organizations are in BB&T. They're flooded with people trying to do it. So the beautiful thing with them is they're also connected to a private bank. 
and the private bank had easy access into filing everything. So we, we kind of skipped to the front of the line in terms of it because they had access to a private bank that was representing the PPP. And so um, that was just another cool thing that they did to kind of help us get to the front of the line. Well, there's a lot of gold in this whole family office approach. I see our, our upper echelon of offices. Now they're not working with typical family office wealth. Now they might be aspiring to, but I think there's so many things you said there as far as just the kind of the one-stop shopping. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. driving over to see one CPA, another estate planning attorney, a financial advisor. They don't even know who each other are. So there's a lot of lessons I think that can be taken from all of that advice. So super yeah. helpful. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, this has been a solid 90 minutes jam packed. <laughs> so I, I appreciate, I just want to keep this thing rolling, but, um, I feel sorry for the person that has to transcribe this. <laughs> My man, Charlie, he's a master. So if you ever need, I, you probably already have podcasts running, but if, if you, if you need a connection there, he's, he's an 11 out of 10 as well. So nice. oh, that's great. Um, all right, well, let's just, let's end with, um, let's end with just one kind of, uh, philosophical question. Okay. Shannon, ladies first. Yep. Uh, so if there was one thing and obviously audience of financial advisors here, so if you want to target it to them, um, if there's one thing that's led to your success to this point, um, and I'm not going to define success. So however you define success, what would that be that you could share with the audience here? Mm. I would say dreaming bigger than I ever imagined and not limiting possibilities or opportunities based on the past, but, but being very future focused and and dreaming really big, I think has, has been a huge contributor to success. Mm. Before I go to Brian, (laughs) what's helped you on that journey to dream bigger? Has it, has it been your husband? Has it been other resources you've brought in? Just if you could expand on that. Yeah, I mean, for sure, Brian, he's definitely pushed me out of my comfort zone um, to to try things that I would have never had the courage to do. But I also think it's just um, experience and, and seeing that when we dream big and, and take risks to achieve those dreams, seeing how it's paid off. You know, seeing that those risks are being rewarded and it's provided us a great opportunity to be a blessing to a lot of other people. Um, so, so the dreams are not just, you know, what can we achieve? What can we acquire? You know, it's, it's based on the influence that has come with success. How can we then help other people? So, um, I think it's, it's, it's partly, you know, Brian and, and pushing beyond comfort zones, but then also just seeing evidence of how those dreams have been fulfilled. Mm. One of my good friends, you probably crossed paths with him, you know, Stu McLaren. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, Michael Hyatt's the connector here. Yeah, he is. He's uh, like the hub. Yeah, he is. He's a, he's a, he's a <laughs> solid hub to have in your life for sure. He has a, a saying more money, more impact. And I yeah. think that's, what's cool is you look through that lens, you don't really ever have to apologize for success because it's just, you're able to have more impact on, on the world and things that matter. So Brian, I'll, I'll ask you the, the same question. Um, one thing that's led to your success, what would it be? Without a doubt, it's we've seen our success through the lens of stewardship. We believe that leadership is a stewardship, that 
if you understand what the word stewardship means, it's a couple of things. One, it means you're managing something that's not yours. And there's also an element of time connected to it. Meaning I am, we are stewarding this thing. We're managing this thing for a season of time. For example, we would say this inside of Belay. We will not be the CEO of this company forever. We are going to be the best managers of it for the season that we're in that seat. I'm one day going to die. And guess what? Everybody else will too. So there's a seasonality to us as humans that we see in this. So it's our responsibility to take our leadership and steward it really well. And what happens when you do that, you're managing something that's not yours and you're being lent it to take care of. When you do that well, more comes your way. Mm-hmm. Bigger and bigger circles of success start coming your way. And all of a sudden, the thing that was small that you were stewarding now became this very big thing that you were stewarding. But your actions have always remained the same, that you've always seen it as something that you're responsible for. And so that's true of us and the wealth that we've been given, uh, our responsibility to our kids, um, our responsibility to our employees and to our leaders that run these organizations, that we are stewarding this for a season of time as best we can. And, and I think that that's the right way to hold things like this mm-hmm. so that you don't become a me monster and you don't let your ego run wild and you don't see yourself as bigger than who you are, that you're just simply stewarding an asset for a season of time. So that, that's been our approach. Well, I'm going to end it on that because that both of your advice there is, is so spot on in, in all things in life and business and everything that comes along with it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for showing up. This was such a fun conversation. I'm now actually counting down the days. I will come in to Atlanta and hang at the brewery once it's Please back do. open. So if you throw a big re-grand opening yeah. party, you let me know. I'll have to get that on the calendar. We'll throw a grand opening it. party and only allow 50 in. perfect Perfect. yeah yeah thank you for having us on absolutely so thank you so much brian shannon stay safe out there and uh until our paths cross again we'll see you thanks thanks for checking out the latest show on to this week's featured review and this week does happen to be a little bit different as this is actually a message i received on linkedin just a few days ago It comes to me from Nigel Wilkins. Inspirational podcast. Thank you. Hi, Brad. It is my pleasure to correspond with you. I'm a big fan of your Elite Advisor Blueprint podcasts and have been following you for many months. I find your podcast inspirational, and it's the reason why I took the massive step to leave the UK in February of this year to become an offshore IFA in Malaysia. Unfortunately, I am now in a lockdown situation like most of the world and I'm unable to see potential clients and do not have a client base. I'm in the process of listening to your podcast on how I can run virtual appointments. I have just requested to join your virtual advisor Facebook group, and I'm confident with your help and the group's help that I can make a success of my business under the unprecedented circumstances that we all find ourselves in. I hope you and your family are safe and well and look forward to more inspiring podcasts from you and your guests. Kind regards, Nigel. Wilkins. Wow. So first off, just my heart goes out to you, Nigel, to make such a big leap. And then pretty close to right after the move to be faced with something like this. I just can't even imagine what that must feel like. But I do want to share with you in every situation like this, it's what you make of it. And it's what does this make possible? And I can tell you There's a never been a greater need 
for true financial advisors that are willing to step up, over-communicate, and bottom line, just reach out and connect and serve. And so if I'm going to offer you advice right now, number one, thanks for joining the Virtual Advisor Facebook group. Just even in the last couple of days, the conversation with Chris Smith on how to connect that's archived inside of there. The, the conversation with David Bach on what his sister that oversees 1.1 billion of assets, her strategy for connecting right now. Both of those would be go-to conversations that I would lean on because there's a lot of wisdom and it has nothing to do with how you manage assets. It has everything to do with how you show up during these unprecedented times to serve others. So make sure you tune into those. Obviously, so glad to have you in the group. You're in the right place to figure this out as we're all navigating the same world of very brick and mortar business. I think financial services lagged so far behind many other industries. And how do we take that same approach and bring it to this virtual world we're all living in? So thanks for the message, Nigel. means a lot that the podcast has inspired you. It's what keeps me going. And thanks for joining the Virtual Advisor Facebook group. We'll try to add as much value to, to you as we can in there and help you get through this. And the fun thing's going to be two, three, four, five years out when we're meeting in person, hopefully someday, and high-fiving and joking about this crazy time period and what that was like uprooting and starting a brand new business in Malaysia, because I promise this too will pass. You've got this. So that's it. Thanks for listening in this week. By the way, for those of you listening in, if you need help in this new norm that we find ourselves in, come join the Virtual Advisor Facebook group. There's no cost. And the whole idea is us all figuring out how we can navigate this new virtual world together. So I'd love to have you join the conversation in there. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint. For access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from our show's guests, visit bradleyjohnson.com. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners. It really does help. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation.